Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. best mentor of all time. Over these past few weeks, we've been going through various mentoring pairs in scripture where we've compared uh, and learned from Moses and Joshua or Elijah and Elisha. And we've learned from all these different characters in scripture that we read about and we've been gleaning from. But ultimately, we know that Jesus is the best mentor and he mentored his disciples for just a little over three years. And yet these guys that he invested his life in ended up changing the world. So Jesus wins, Jesus is the best, right? So (laughs) there's a lot to learn in that time from what he did. And so to finish out this series, I want us to go through some of the practical lessons that we can learn through the example of Jesus and what he did by investing in his disciples and how we can invest in others and how we can continue to impact eternity. You know, these guys that Jesus invested in, they changed the world by watching, walking, and working with Jesus. And I want us to just look at an example of that in Acts chapter 4. In verse 13 and 14, we see here John and Peter are standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're in front of this council of leaders because there was a man who was healed. And if you remember this story, perhaps they healed this guy who had been sitting at the gate for a very long time, and everyone in the community all knew that this man was crippled and that he was a beggar, and he had been there since his youth. And people had seen this guy, perhaps they'd even given money to him, perhaps they felt sorry for him on occasion, brought him food, brought him clothes, whatever the case may be, but he sat outside of the gate called Beautiful every day, and he was asking for help. And when Peter and John went to go pray in the temple one day, they walked past this guy that everybody knew, and he did his thing. He said, would you give me something? And he said, uh, Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. He said, but what I do have, I'll give to you. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy was healed. He went walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, this, as great of a miracle as it is, caused problems for the Sanhedrin because this couldn't have been a setup. Like this would have had to have been a really slow, long game that was planned for like years and years and years because everyone knew this guy. So this is one of those moments of healing that was irrefutable. And it drove these religious leaders angry because Peter and John were giving Jesus the credit for this. And they're going, oh no, you know, like what's, what's happening? They were using this miracle as a platform to proclaim the gospel and to actually tell people about Jesus. And they, he even gained an audience with the religious leaders and began to tell them about Jesus in the middle of all this. And so they pull Peter and John into this meeting and they start talking to them about, you know, the fact that this miracle happened and there's no way that, you know, that this, this could be, you know, real, but yet we see this guy who's healed and I mean, my goodness, and they're arguing and trying to get them to stop preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. And this is what they said in Acts chapter four, verse 13. Now, when they, the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
This is a really cool scripture because these guys had no, you know, nothing else to say because they're like, what are we going to do? There's the guy who's healed right there. But it's interesting that these men recognize after Peter and John gave their defense and their account of what happened, these guys said the words they're using, the way they're speaking, the way they're talking, it's not from the mouth of someone who's really highly educated. So we're not being, you know, deceived by some guys that are like the smartest guys in the room. And it's obvious that these guys didn't go to the right schools and don't have the right pedigree. But man, we can't deny the fact that they've been with Jesus because these guys, they've been with Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing for someone to recognize? That even though you may not be the smartest person in the room, there's something different about you because I can tell you've been with Jesus. I remember a missionary friend of mine named Steve. He was a missionary to Ukraine. And um, years and years ago, Steve and I were having this conversation and, about knowing Jesus. And the way Steve talked about Jesus and the way that he talked about his love for Jesus, man, it just it moves me. And I go, man, this guy doesn't just know about Jesus. Like, he really knows Jesus. Because there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Right, church? There, there's a big difference. I mean, this guy is just a, a, a simple guy from Arkansas, uh, grew up in a Mennonite family, gets his life radically changed by the gospel message. And next thing you know, like the way he talked, the passion that he was living with, I mean, Steve just talked about Jesus like he just really knows him. And I know I've used this illustration before, but it really helps us to grasp this idea when we think about some celebrity that we like or some athlete that we follow their career. We can know all of the facts about that athlete. We can follow their whole career. Man, I've been watching this person since they were in high school when they, they were a prospect for the big leagues and then they got drafted high and then now they're winning MVPs and championships and I know all of the stats and figures and I read their biography about how they grew up in this type of environment, in this poverty, in this home, and whatever the case may be. I know their story. I've watched all their interviews. I've got their, I've got their jersey, so I'm even wearing the same clothes they're wearing. They have a certain shoe that they sell that they designed. I'm even wearing the same shoes that they wear. And I could go up to this person that I know all of this information about and say, hey, man, and they go, uh, security, <laughs> Right? Because what's the deal? I don't really know that person. I just know a lot about them. And I think so many Christ followers get to this place in their walk with God where they want to learn so many facts. They want to memorize so many things. They want to be in, even in the same environment and that is conducive to life change, but yet they truly don't know Jesus. They just know a lot about him. Folks, I want to be a church that's full of people that know Jesus. Amen? I want people to know that the, that, that the people of BCC, man, while we may not be the smartest in the world, um, that's no knock against anyone. It's just the truth. It's just, it's just the truth. I mean, you all voted for me as a senior pastor, so what does that say? No, I'm kidding. That's, oh, man. I got to reel this one back, don't I? I'll hand my shovel to someone else. So... But, but what I'm saying is that we, we may not be like the smartest people in the world, and, and that's just the truth, but at the same time, I want people to know that the folks at BCC, they have been with Jesus. 
they have had a radical encounter with the Messiah, with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that has radically altered the course of their life, that has radically changed the priority in which they live their lives, that there's something different. And the difference is that we just don't talk about Jesus. We actually know Jesus. Amen. And that's what these religious leaders caught on to. They're like, man, we perceive these guys have been with Jesus. So these guys were watching, walking, and working with Jesus. And it caught the attention of these leaders because an effective mentor is going to set those up that they are mentoring to be able to succeed long after they're gone. Jesus knew that in order for this great commission that he had called his disciples to, this work to be effective, for it to actually happen, that he was going to have to set them up to succeed. And so he invested in them regularly and he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what you and I need to recognize. Our role as mentors is to help lead people to Jesus, to invest in the poor people into him and to create in them a hunger and a dependency and a need for more of God in their lives. Amen, church? Here's what I said last week, and I want to reiterate this point, that our role is to build bridges for the next generation to walk across. That's our role. We want to make sure that we are setting up the next generation to continue to live with a strong, passionate faith that they actually know Jesus, not just have memorized a bunch of facts about Jesus, but they actually know him and and have been changed and are being changed by Jesus. Amen? That's our role, to make sure that those bridges are being built, that we're creating those opportunities, those environments, that we're intentionally investing, making sure that people know about Jesus by the way we live, the way we walk, and the way that we're intentionally investing in them. Jesus intentionally modeled, he intentionally taught, he intentionally worked with these men for a purpose greater than simply healing the sick or helping the poor. Healing the sick and helping the poor is awesome, and Jesus definitely did that. But there was something greater that he was setting them up to do because he was setting them up to actually influence and impact eternity, not just someone's life here on the earth and make their life easier or better or to erase some of the challenges or problems of this life. No, he was setting these guys up to be able to actually influence and impact eternal things kingdom things. That's why Jesus regularly talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God over and over again, because he's wanting these people that he's investing in to understand that this life is more than just what we experience here on this earth, that there is eternity ahead. And we want to make sure that what we're doing here on this earth is bringing glory to God by influencing and impacting eternity by the intentionality in which we live our lives. Amen, church. Jesus empowered his disciples to continue with him without, without him on the earth because he ascended into heaven. When we read Acts chapter 4, this is after Jesus has already ascended into heaven, that he's left them with this great commission. And now they've, they've received the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of them. They've been empowered with a supernatural boldness. They've been empowered to, to, with these gifts that God has given them to be able to do the things that God has called them to do. And now we're seeing the fruit of that when we read Acts chapter 4. And these guys, all they could figure was that these guys just had to have been with Jesus because they're thinking, man, these guys aren't very well educated, but what they're saying and what they're doing, that sure sounds a lot like Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Like that even unbelievers are recognizing, yeah, that, 
That sounds a lot like Jesus. That looks a lot like Jesus. Man, I want our lives and our church to be about that. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go through a few things here that we recognize in the life of Jesus that he did that I hope we can learn from today and grow in and apply in our lives. The first thing is that Jesus modeled and taught intimate fellowship with God. He modeled and taught this. He was regularly going away to pray in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. We see here where Jesus went away to pray. He withdrew. He went uh, to the mountain and actually prayed. We see Mark 6 and verse 46 where Jesus, where he went to go pray and he actually drew away again to pray. And then even in his last moments in Matthew 26 and 36, we see where Jesus, he actually called uh, his disciples, said, hey, come here, come with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pray, and I want you to come along with me this time as I go and as I pray. I want to show you this. I want you to experience this with me. And prayer is so important because it's not just something we go through because we know we're supposed to as a good Christian. That's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to deepen a dependence upon God. That's the purpose of prayer. If I am living a life that my prayer life is weak and it's not something I'm regularly investing in, then what I am saying by my lack of prayer is, God, I've got this. God, I don't, I don't need you. I've got this. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, remember, he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that was by their, their own request. They're saying, Jesus, will you, will you teach us how to pray? And if they're asking Jesus how to pray, that must mean that they've heard him do it a lot. They've seen him do it a lot. And they're like, we want to know how to do this. We want to pray like you pray. And he said, okay, guys, okay, here's how you do this. And he gives them this prayer that's so jam-packed and so filled with this idea of, of, of walking through this understanding of how big God is. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's positioning our heart saying, God, I want what you want. Help me to want what you want. I want to acknowledge you are sovereign, you are holy, you are big, you are wise, you are all sufficient. And I want to recognize in this moment that I want your will to be done on earth just like it is in heaven where everything is perfect. And so God, will you, will you help my heart to start there, recognizing your holiness, recognizing how big you are. And then the next part of that prayer what is it? Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. What is Jesus trying to communicate here? He's trying to say, put your heart in a position when you talk to God, that you're saying everything I need for life, everything I need for strength and energy, everything I need to accomplish the purpose that I have, that bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? He said, everything that you need, you recognize it comes from the Father because you're asking him to give it to you. And you also can have confidence. Jesus later taught them in, in that same text. He said, if you ask for something that's good from a good father, don't you think he's going to give it to you? Don't you think he's a good and faithful father? So if you say, Father... Uh, give me this day my daily bread. I'm not just asking for food. I'm not just asking God to give me resources. It doesn't stop there. It's literally saying, God, everything I need for life, everything I need for sustainability, everything I need to do what you've called me to do, I'm acknowledging it comes from you, and I'm acknowledging that I need it from you. What this does to us 
is it puts our hearts in such a position of humility that we have to acknowledge how big God is and how much we need him. And when I don't pray, I'm saying, God, I, 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 want, I want my own way. I don't want your will. I, I, I want to figure this out on my own. I, I, I want to try to provide for myself and do this on my own. But when we pray, I'm saying, God, I have to have you. God, I need you. I need you for, for, for the very air I breathe, for the very, the, the very bread that I need to sustain. You are that bread, and I need you. And when I regularly pray, it regularly tempers my heart, and it regularly reminds me of my insufficiencies and the fact that he's all-sufficient. And when I can rest in the sufficiency of God, man, it takes so much pressure off of me to have to figure everything out. I can rest and trust and say, God, you lead me. God, you provide. God, you are going to take care of me. God, help me to be obedient and follow you. Let my steps be ordered by you. Let my actions, let my reactions to things be ordered by you because you are the source. You are that daily bread that I need. I need it daily. I need it daily. And so if I need bread daily, then I need to be asking daily and I need to trust that he's going to give it to me daily, amen? And that he's going to sustain me daily. And if I do that, it's me positioning my heart and saying, God, I need you. And the prayerless life is one that just says, God, I've got this. The prayerless life is one that says, "Um, Lord, I only need you when tragedy strikes. I only need you when I feel like things are outside of my wheelhouse. But until then, Lord, you just kind of stay over there as like my backup plan, right? And that's how so many people treat God. And they think that that's what God is there for. And they miss the relationship. They miss the sufficiency, the, the need. Because God is most glorified in our weakness, not in our strength, amen? It's actually in our weakness that God's power is manifested, It's actually in our weakness that God is able to to, to show how mighty he is. And so when we give those things to him and we acknowledge we need him, man, it forces us to humble our hearts, to think less of ourselves, to think less about what am I going to do, how am I going to fix this, how am I going to do this, and more of God, you lead me, God, you guide me, God, I need you in every moment. The ones that seem out of my control and even the ones that I feel like I've kind of got under control. Lord, help me to develop a deeper dependence on you. I mean, my goodness, if Jesus, he walked, he, he withdrew, and he prayed. Uh, over in Luke 6 and 12, it says he prayed all night. All night. Like, what did he even say, you know? Like, some of us have a hard time praying longer than like 60 seconds. We're like, I don't know that many words. And, and it, I mean, that's just the truth. Sometimes we struggle, right? And Jesus prayed all night. He's showing, he's modeling, he's telling his disciples, this is the type of dependency that you need to have upon God and watch the faithfulness of God show up because it moves the hand and the heart of God when his people pray, amen? It does, it does. So the another thing that Jesus did, not only did he, he model and taught this intimate fellowship with God, but he also used practical, everyday examples. 
Jesus used parables. He talked to them about regular, everyday things and helped them to understand the heart of God. He wanted them to be able to understand the heart of God, so he used language that they would be able to get because I want us to understand God did not give us his word to confuse us or intimidate us, amen? And so as we're looking at mentoring relationships, as we're looking at bringing people along with us, teaching them how to pray, we also need to be, to, need to be able to invest in them a love for the Word of God and teach them how to look at the Word of God. And I want to help us today because I think that so many of us are intimidated by scriptures because we may not know where to start. And here's a great foundation. Here's a great place to start. Look at the Bible to discover the heart of God. Oh, if you start, oh, can I, uh, like, I think there's like three or four people that got that. I want you to get this, okay? Read the Bible to discover the heart of God. So many people read the Bible to try to find themselves. And can I tell you, Liz, lovingly, as I know how, stop. <laughs> stop looking at the Bible to try to find you and instead look at it to try to find the heart and character of God. Because the Bible is not written about you, it's written for your benefit to be able to learn more about God, amen? And what the Bible does from cover to cover is it shows us our need and it shows us the love of God, the heart of God, and how he made a way where there was no way and how he wants to be with us forever and how we can live our lives to glorify him. And so we can learn so much about God and his desires for us and his love towards us that it helps to shape the way we live our lives. It reorients and reorders the priority of our lives because we see we want to please God because we learn to fear him, to trust him, to acknowledge him, to serve him. We see his faithfulness not only through the scriptures, but then we start going, oh, I see this play out in my life as well. And the longer I walk with him and the longer I seek him and the more I know him, the more it begins to shape the way I think. It renews my mind. It begins to change the way that, that, that I value different things. And all of a sudden now my priorities begin to line up because now I've understood the heart of God. A lot of people look at reading the scripture as like some sort of Christian chore. Stop looking at the scripture that way. This is not some sort of Christian chore. It's not just a Christian duty for you to check off your list to ease your conscience. If that's how you're approaching scripture, you're missing out on a fellowship and a relationship with God. Look at scripture as a way to get to know the heart of God more. And as you read something that maybe is a little confusing, it won't take you long to get to some of those parts, especially if you start in Genesis. Because once you get past chapter three, you're like, huh? You're like, we were cool up until chapter three. And then chapter four, and some of you muscle through it, and there's some parts through it. You're like, yeah, like, I, I kind of understand that. I kind of understand that. And then you can kind of understand some things in Exodus if you're just starting out reading the Bible. You know? And then all of a sudden, you start getting to like Leviticus. And you're like, oh my, like, what's up with this? And, and, and you're learning about cubits and, you know, like... All sorts of things that may be really confusing. And, and, and listen, uh, the scripture, let me set you free. Scripture was not written and given to us, compiled this way in chronological order. This is not chronologically uh, set up. If you want that, you can buy a Bible that's a chronological Bible. But that's not the way it's set up. And the numbers and the chapters and all those things in there, that was added later for our reference. That wasn't a part of the original writing. So don't freak out about numbers and verses and things like that. 
I know some people make a big deal about that. It's just for our reference. And I want you to start somewhere where you can understand. And I think that if you're newer to reading scripture, especially if you're wanting to grow and walk with someone and and maybe even uh, in a mentoring relationship, I would recommend that you would start like in the Gospel of John, that you would read John. That's a great place to start because it tells the story of Jesus and it starts even from like the beginning, right? In the beginning was the word and it talks about Jesus. And so as you begin to understand that, just grow in that. And, and don't read the scripture like you're trying to like compete in some sort of race with somebody, okay? Sometimes we need to just take those little pieces of scripture and we actually need to uh, have a scriptural practice that's called meditation. And I'm not talking about like, mm, like burn some incense and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about meditation just simply means to think on the same thing over and over again. And sometimes we need to slow down and stop trying to be in a race because God's not, not impressed with the fact that you read five chapters if you didn't understand any of it. Amen or oh me, I don't know, right? Like, God's not going, wow, they read five chapters today. <laughs> Good for you. And you're like, yeah. And if someone would say, well, what was it about? No, no. I, I would rather you slow down. Even think about the Lord's Prayer, right? Think about the Lord's Prayer over in Luke chapter 11, right? Think about this as we go through that. Let, let's look at that real quick. Luke 11. This is, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. I wonder what that prayer was like that Jesus prayed that made that disciple go, I want to know how to do that. And Jesus wasn't just saying, repeat these words. That wasn't what he was doing. He was teaching them how It wasn't just teach us what to say. He was teaching them how. He was teaching them how to approach God. And that's the principle that Jesus was sharing with them in this moment. The Lord teaches how to pray. He said to them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. What if you just stopped right there? Think about that for a minute. Let's just do this. Father, hallowed is your name. What if you're sitting with someone that you're going through scripture with, that you're mentoring, that you're investing in, and you just said, what does that mean? What does that mean? What, what, what is God's name being hallowed? Like, what is this holiness attached to the name of God? How do I understand the holiness of God, this, this high reverence, this awe of his name? When I approach him, this, this should temper my heart. Like, what if we begin to explore this and ask good questions? How does this change the way that we approach God? Just thinking about, hallowed be your name. You see, we could hang out there for quite some time. And sometimes we get so excited, we just read and read and read and read. But have we thought about what we've read? How does God's holiness impact my life? How does the weight of his name impact the way I approach him? Have I thought about the weight of the fact that I can approach God and I can talk to him and he's holy and the only reason that I can be clean and holy before him is because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for me, that I've been washed clean and that as I approach him, he is holy. I should be in awe. When I'm in awe, I'm both amazed, excited, and, and, and I approach him with a holy reverence and fear, knowing this is God, but yet he's Father. Father, 
hallowed be your name. You see, if I walk through just even that, that, that one portion of a verse and I allow the weight of that to rest on me, man, it gets, it gets deeper than just in my head so that I can memorize a scripture that I can later repeat or maybe win a prize or a gold star because I've memorized the scripture. Now all of a sudden, it's transitioning from my head into my heart and it's stirring emotions in me. It's stirring reaction in me. It's stirring worship in me. And so when I sing, Father, hallowed be your name, or when I pray, hallowed be your name, or when I sing or think about or read about now my heart is in a different position because of what the Holy Spirit has done in me. Oh, and it changes my posture. It changes my position. And all I've done is take a very small verse, a very small portion, and taken some time with it just in that moment. When you're mentoring someone, when you're investing in them, walk through these things intentionally with them. Jesus used everyday examples. He gave them bite-sized pieces. Jesus talked to them about farming a lot because there was a lot of, of agriculture, a lot of things that were relatable in, in that idea of farming. A lot of examples were used of their day-to-day -day activities, the type of transactions or even the type of, of, of uh, different, different pieces of culture that they would have understood in the marketplace, he used to help them understand the heart of God. Help people understand the heart of God as you're pouring into them by using practical, everyday examples. Sometimes we get so spiritual and we think that, that's, uh, that that impresses people. If your goal as a mentor is to impress someone, you're, you're missing the mark. You need to uh, you, you need to start over with this idea that we're going to talk about now over in John 13, which is humility, because Jesus modeled humility and he modeled authenticity. Amen, church? He modeled this and he did this in, best by dying on the cross for us, but this memorable story as well in John 13, in verse 2 during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter gets excited, right? He says, well, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I love this story here because Jesus modeling his humility, modeling for us 
actually what he was about to do on the cross. They didn't understand that. That's why Jesus told his disciples, listen, you don't get it right now, but after some of these things happen, you're going to think back to this time of me washing your feet, and you're going to go, oh, I see what you were doing in Jesus washing his feet and humbling himself as a servant. He was showing them in his own way what he was about to do on the cross. He's washing their feet. He's taking a position that seems to everyone else is beneath him, just as God coming in the likeness of human flesh. Seems beneath God, but it's not. It's because of his love, and he's modeling this humility, this servant's heart. And then after Jesus is finished washing his disciples' feet, he lets them know what I've done to you. You guys need to do this for one another, he said. And now you've said, yeah, you're, you're our master, rightly so, and a servant's not above his master. So what you've seen me do, do to each other, he said. And what you've seen and what you've heard and what you know actually put it into practice. This is what James says where he talks about being not just a hearer of the word that deceives themselves, that like looks in a mirror and then turns away and forgets what he looks like. No, 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 he's saying, no, this is, this is you actually being a hearer and a doer of the word. Someone who actually is going to do these things, not just learn all about these things and do it. And it takes humility. A lot of times we get this idea that investing in someone kind of separates us from them, makes us somehow better than them, and that's not the heart of God at all. It's actually the fact maybe we're a little further down the road than someone based on our experience or our knowledge, and, but that doesn't make me better than another person, amen? Just because I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church doesn't make me a better person or a better Christian, because can I tell you that the same Holy Spirit that operates in a pastor of a church is the same Holy Spirit that operates in someone who works at John Deere or Target, amen? Yeah. And it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that's working in us. And so it's not like, you know, certain people get like, you know, supreme Holy Spirit, and some people get like junior. You know, I'll take a kid's meal. Holy Spirit. That's not how this works. It's the same Spirit of God that's in all of us if we are followers of Jesus. Amen? And as we have been baptized into Christ, and as we have this newness of life, and as we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us, He distributes gifts to each one of us as He wills. As that's what Scripture said. He distributes these gifts. And there's not like important gifts and not important gifts. We need all of these gifts in the body of Christ in operation. And that means that we have to intentionally invest in the spirit of humility and understand that we are to model, we are to invest. We're not to have our arms crossed and show everyone how spiritual we are, show everyone how knowledgeable we are, how wonderful we are. And people do this, you know, to, to me a lot. And, and, and so stop doing this. Um, like, people get weirded out sometimes when they hang out with the pastor, right? And they're like, oh, the pastor's coming over. Honey, get the big Bible and put it out on the table. And when, like, the doorbell rings, you come to, oh, oh, oh sorry, pastor, we were just in the middle of our family devotional. Um, please do, please do come in. And you've got, you know, Caleb blasting on the radio and, and uh, you know, uh, you, you've got like uh, all of this Christian imagery everywhere. You changed out all your decorations and the pastor comes over, you know, and it's weird. And stop. Like, don't, don't do that. I don't like that. I don't want that. Uh, here's what I want. I want you to be yourself wherever you're at. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be myself. 
I, I, I want to, yeah. Okay, so I want to be myself. I want you to be yourself. And let's just see how we can love each other and help each other grow from where we're at. Because I don't know everything. Well, then, I wish you would have said that before I voted for you. Yeah, well, I don't. I, I don't know everything. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. But I don't. And guess what? Neither do you. You don't know everything. But, but no matter how far along you are in your walk with God, or even in life, I bet God could use you to impact my life in some way. And I bet you God could use me to impact your life in some way. It's not about better than. It's not about, you know, someone being up here. No, this is humility. And so here's what we have to do to be humble. We have to be honest and open with where we're at. One of the greatest things you can do as you're walking in a mentoring relationship with someone is share with them the things that you struggle with. To, to be the first one to lay your cards out on the table and let them know that you don't have it all together because sometimes people have the perception that you have it all together and they're the ones who are messed up. Sometimes people have that perception and because they think that you've got your life together and your life looks all squeaky clean like an Instagram story, all, they, they, they're intimidated by you and you can't effectively mentor someone that you're intimidated by. You can't, you, you can't be effectively mentored by someone that you think that, that, that they don't, they, they don't you, you have to put on this front to impress them. You need to create safety and trust, amen? The only way to create safety and trust is to be consistent, to be real, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, and to say, hey, you know, I get that. I know where you're at. Guess what? I struggle with those things. Um, or I've had those issues. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's great. You know, uh, sometimes we, we, we feel safe sharing our struggles, things that were like 20 years ago, you know, that we feel like, yeah, 20 years ago, my wife and I had an argument once, you know, <laughs> and, and that, you know, and that's supposed to connect with someone. Well, what about the argument you just had on the way to church? Like, you want to talk about that? You know, like just to let people know, say, Hey, I, I you know, Jesus wanted people to know that, that, that he was real, that they could touch him, that he had human emotions. Even though this is God, he still wept. He wept over Lazarus. You know, he wept over the, 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 the city when he looked on it as having a, a bunch of sheep in it. And they didn't have a shepherd. And, and Jesus felt pain. And, and he was human, but he was God. So understand in your relationships that your humanity is, is okay. Just don't get stuck where you're at. Keep pursuing to move forward because you don't know yet what you don't know. And until you get to that crossroads, you don't know. You don't know. And we need each other. And we need to stop playing this who can out-spiritualize one another. And just because I'm a mentor and you're a mentee means like I'm this high and mighty person. I'm, I may just be a little further ahead in some things. I may have some experience you don't have or some things, that, but, but I would still want to be humble and I still want to learn. I still want to grow because we as Christ followers need to be life learners. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, this last thing is Jesus helped bring clarity and focus to the lives of his disciples. Um, I love when Jesus calls his disciples, his first disciples. Do you remember what they were doing? Um, they were fishing, right? Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18, it says that uh, while they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets to follow him. 
Isn't this awesome that Jesus brings clarity and he brings focus to their lives? And this is what Jesus does. And this is what mentoring relationships help us to do is to help bring clarity and focus to our lives. Because you just thought that you were working on an assembly line at John Deere. You just thought that you were a cashier at Target. You just thought you were uh, working in the food industry or you were working in an office somewhere or you were cleaning uh, uh, this, this business or whatever the case may be. You were driving that car or you were, you were making those phone calls and sending those emails and negotiating those deals, whatever. You just thought you were doing that, but, but you see what Jesus does? He takes something that seems very ordinary and, and he redirects it and helps you to see a greater purpose in it. I'll never forget this story that um, I heard from a friend of mine years ago. He was a youth pastor and he felt that God had been calling him to be a senior pastor of a church. And so he preemptively felt it was time for him to walk away from youth ministry and step into this role, but he didn't have a church to go to. He just felt like he was supposed to trust God. And so he uh, steps away from that student ministry, leaves well, and he said, all right, God, tell me where to go, and I'll go and I'll serve and I'll pastor those people. And he talks to this church, talks to that church, sends his resume here, interviews there. Every single door that he tried to get his foot into slams shut. Not one of them would open. And he's going, what on earth has happened? Did, did I miss God? He begins to get upset. He begins to worry. Oh, no, I got a family to take care of. I stepped out in what I thought was faith. I was trusting God. I, I felt that my, my wife and I heard clearly from the Lord I'm supposed to do this. And, man, it just doesn't seem like it's working out. And he said the only job that he could get was being a shift manager at Taco Bell. And so he's working at Taco Bell. And guess what? He's angry at God. Because he felt like, God, I stepped out in faith because I felt you were calling me to ministry and you were calling me to be a pastor. He said in that moment, he said God got a hold of his heart and he felt the Holy Spirit speak clearly and loudly to his heart by saying, what business of yours is, is it if I call you to pastor Taco Bell? And he said, oh, I never viewed what I was doing as something that I was actually supposed to be doing no matter if I'm in a church or if I'm in this role. And he began to love those people and those customers and the, the people that he was working with regularly and pour into their lives. And God eventually did open up a door for him to go into full-time vocational ministry. But he had to change his view. And so mentors in this relationship, when you're investing with someone, help them to see what they're doing differently than the way they're seeing it. Jesus helps the disciples to see what they were doing differently. He said, guys, you just thought all this fishing all this time was just to catch fish, but I'm going to tweak that just a little bit. I want you to see fishing differently from now on. I want you to think about the intentionality that you used to go fishing with, the, the thought you used to put into it, right? The hard work you used to put into it. And now I want you to actually go and redirect that passion and those skills and that understanding because now we're actually going to go out and we're going to fish for souls. Jesus gives us that refocus of our passion. You just thought that you were working in this industry or that, but actually God may be using you in a powerful way for his kingdom. Amen, church? Here's our big idea for today. Jesus commands his disciples to devote their lives to investing in others. That means he's commanding you and me. That's what the Great Commission is all about. In Matthew 28, Jesus talks about this idea of going into all the world and making disciples. 
It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission, the great command. So that means every one of us have been called to this. You have, I have, all of us have. And I want to do this and do it well. And so I want to do it intentionally. So my hope is that through these past few weeks, as we've been talking about these mentoring relationships, that you're thinking about your relationships with your friends different. You're thinking about maybe people that God may be highlighting to you and pointing out to you differently. You're thinking about the relationship with your children, your grandchildren different, your nieces and nephews differently, your neighbors, your coworkers differently. I hope that you're looking at them through a different lens and perhaps God has put you in that situation with those people because you're supposed to intentionally pour into them. You're supposed to pray with them. You're supposed to help them see God in their everyday lives. You're supposed to help them to grow in their relationship. You're supposed to be humble and authentic by, by, by putting your cards out there on the table first and showing them how you are a person who's still pursuing God and you don't have everything together. You're supposed to show them how what they do actually matters in the grand scheme of eternity if they would just reorient their focus to have that kingdom agenda. And maybe God has put you in those connections and in those relationships because it's our role to build a bridge for the next generation to walk across. And if that's gonna happen, it's gonna have to take people who are gonna live with that type of intentionality. And I believe that I'm speaking to a church full of people who want to live with that intentionality, amen? Do you believe that? Like, is that, is that where I'm at today? Am I in a church full of people who want to live with that type of intentionality to set up the next generation to take the gospel forward? So after you and I are long gone, Jesus is still bring, being proclaimed, that disciples are still being made, people are still coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and eternity is still being impacted long after we're gone because we set them up to continue on. We showed them what mattered. We showed them what was important. We showed them how to do it, even as we ourselves stumbled through it. We still wanted to set them up to grow and far outdo anything we were able to accomplish, to have an even greater dependency on God, to have an even greater trust in His Spirit because of the groundwork that we wanted to lay in our lifetime. I believe that's who's here in this church. And I believe that's what we're called to do. Amen? And I want us to do that together. And so let's do this. Let's take all this stuff we've been talking about over these past few weeks. Let's give this to God in prayer. And then let's have the courage and trust in God to take a step. So whatever that step is, I don't know. I'm not going to try to tell you, but I believe you know. And if you don't know, begin to pray and ask God to reveal that step to you. Ask God to highlight that person to you. It may be someone you already have relationship with. It may be someone you've yet to have relationship with. It may be someone God's going to bring by your path even this week. It may be someone that you're related to. It may be someone that you see every day and you're like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen that person this way before. And now I see my role is to set them up to succeed after I'm gone. I need to make sure I live with a greater intentionality to pour into that person. To make sure I'm helping them to set up a bridge to walk across, to keep loving Jesus and bring others with them. Amen. So Holy Spirit, we need you. Oh, because we don't have this on our own. Man, we need you. We need you, Lord, so much. Help us to have the humility of Christ that washed our feet and may we wash the feet of others 
May we love intentionally and love well. May we not stumble into pride, but may we walk with humility. Forgive us for when we've been negligent. Forgive us for where we've been lazy, inconsistent. Forgive us where we've, where we, where we've stumbled. And, and Lord, help us to live our lives with a greater clarity of focus, greater intentionality to invest in eternity. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.